Hello and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostic industry. My name is Omar Ford and I'm the editor-in-chief of MDDI, an online publication owned by Informa. On this episode of Let's Talk MedTech, we're going to be speaking with Ruby Gattelrab. She is the CEO and founder of MDisrupt, a company that has positioned itself as the bridge between technology and healthcare to help the most impactful digital health products make it to the market quickly. Ruby is going to talk to us about a variety of topics related to digital health. She's also going to be talking with us about inclusion and diversity in the med tech space. It's an awesome conversation and I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's talk med tech with Ruby Gattelrab. Well, Ruby, welcome to Let's Talk Med Tech. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Omar. It's nice to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. now see, a lot of people don't know this, but um, you know, I'm about to drop some insider information here, but we had a conversation a few months back and we thought, hey, this is an awesome talk. This needs to be, this needs to go beyond an article. We need to do a podcast on this. And, and so here we are. We did. We had a wonderful conversation and we took it in many different directions, which I'm sure we will talk about today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first off, let me tee it up. Let's talk a little bit about your company, MDisrupt. Let's talk about how the company is making a difference in, in med tech in the spaces that you play in. MDisrupt is a digital health intelligence company, and our mission is to organize the world's digital health products by performance. And let me break down for you a little bit about what that means. There are so many digital health companies in this space. In fact, over $50 billion was invested in digital health in the last two years. And many of these products are already in the market. And the big problem is that there's no way for us as consumers or patients or providers to tell which ones are any good. And so that problem also extends to all the other stakeholders in healthcare, including health systems, payers and employers. So what we're making today in digital health as an industry the products are going to be a routine part of the healthcare systems of the future. And we saw this during the pandemic when we started using many digital health technologies um, very routinely. So we started using at-home testing for COVID. We started mm -hmm. using telemedicine. We started using remote patient monitoring. And the gap in the industry, Omar, is that there is no place that's subjective that every stakeholder in healthcare can go and find out if a product's any good and organize these products by performance. But before we do any of this, we have to help the most impactful digital health products make it to market quickly and responsibly. So we're starting by focusing on digital health companies and digital health founders, and we are building an enablement platform to help them access the health experts that they need on demand. Awesome. That, that, that's amazing. Why do you think that there's this, this gap right now uh, or why is there this unmet need? Is it because digital health is just, I don't want to say that it's a new concept, but is it just something that that's hard for the sector or, or people to, to kind of wrap their heads around right now? So that's a great question. Um, and uh, let me break it down into a few things. So firstly, let's define digital health. So we sure. use the FDA definition of digital health, which is anywhere where 
technology and software can be uh, used to make a health outcome, health risk prediction, or potentially a treatment or a therapeutic. Um, and I say this because it's important for us all to get on the same page about the definition, firstly. Um, yes. Secondly, the, the industry as a whole is not that new. It's over 10 years old, but it has some really, really immense challenges. And as you know, I used to be the VP of commercial marketing at 23andMe. And after I left 23andMe, I saw that there was a number of companies in the space um, getting into digital health. And I wanted to understand what some of their challenges were going to be for widespread adoption. So I consulted for 25 of these companies back to back in two and a half years. And the key thing that I discovered is that many of the founders did not come from a healthcare background. They came, they were super smart, super passionate. Everybody has a why in healthcare. But they came from tech, from banking, and from marketing backgrounds. And so the side effect of that is that they didn't necessarily have the right expert networks available to them to build their products and to tap into. And also, they didn't have clinicians as part of their teams when they're building these health products. And so this is where I feel really strongly that representation matters, not just from a diversity perspective, which I know we'll get into later, but also from a professional perspective. If we are building digital healthcare products today, why do we not have the healthcare experts with a seat at the table and the voice in the process? And that is partly why um, many of these companies are building products that um, not will not necessarily get widespread adoption into the traditional incumbent health systems. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you bring up a, a, a good point just about the, the representation, but I, w- I want to go back to our conversation a couple months ago or a few mm-hmm. months ago and, and bring up representation in, in med tech. And one of the things that stood out to me when we were talking was that this was a company of inclusion. You openly talk about that. You say, hey, yeah. this is something that I really want to focus on. This is something that we are focusing on. I want to talk a little bit about that and why it's so important to have that in MedTech. And I also want to ask, do we have that in MedTech widespread right now, in your oh. opinion? <laughs> opening up a can of worms here, Omar. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Okay. so. Yes, I built MDisrupt with my team to be diverse by design. And diversity is super, super important to me and my whole executive team. And we did it at every layer of the company, from the advisors to the investors to the C-level to the leadership teams and everything in between. And when we're talking about diversity, we're not just talking about um, racial diversity. We're also talking about age, gender, LGBTQ, Mm disability, all kinds of diversity really, really matter. And the data speaks for itself. There have been study after study that have shown the companies that have diverse teams are better at innovation, are better at generating revenue, are better at building products that represent the face of America or the face of the country that they're trying to build for. And this is very, very important because um, We've made too many mistakes as a healthcare industry in the past about how we build products. We haven't had representation in the companies, and that lack of representation has translated into the products. And as an industry, we have to change this. I think 2020, between COVID and the George Floyd murder, it shone a huge light, not 
on the health inequities in the country and the health disparities. And I think that digital health has an opportunity to fix some of those things if they make sure that they have uh, diversity on their teams, diversity in their studies, diversity in their trials, and diversity from their investors. Yeah, you, you need that all the way around. It, it needs to be a complete circle. It needs to need to be a, a cycle where you have stakeholders represented uh, because you can get better outcomes and there's also a better understanding. You know, I go back to my early days in the industry and, and we talked about this uh, a few months ago, mm-hmm. but I go back to some of the trade shows I went to when I first started out and I'll never forget I was at the uh, trade show in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and someone asked in the audience, why don't we see any people, um, why do we see all white men um, giving this lecture at this at, at this conference? Why do we just see that? Why don't we see a uh, makeup of any other races? Why don't we see any women? Why don't we see any, you know, um, any, any people of color? And this was back in 2000. I want to. Well, I don't want to give a year, um, but this was this was well over ten, uh, almost fifteen years ago. And yeah. so, you 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 have that question, that experience always uh, stuck out in my mind, and it, it's it's been with me for a very long time. I want you to go back to your early days in, in the mm-hmm. industry. Can you describe the makeup of some of the companies that you you worked for or you worked with, and, and maybe some of the trade shows? Yeah, yeah. I think I had a very, very similar experience to you, Omar. So I've been in the industry for 26 years. And as many of you can hear, I'm British. So I Mm -hmm. started my early career in the UK. And I moved to California, uh, Silicon Valley, California, 15 years ago. Now, my experience really similar to yours, when I was the first 10 years of my career in the UK, I never saw anyone that looked like me in leadership positions in scientific and academic positions in trade shows. I spent years and years and years being surrounded by, quite frankly, all white males, Mm -hmm. many of whom were wonderful and supportive and allies and who mentored me and helped me. But there was not very many women in the industry and there definitely wasn't many women of color. And I moved to the US um, 15 years ago and I kind of had the same experience. we, I had a lot more women um, mentors, but we were mm. always the minority. We were always the minority at every trade show. We're the minority in every executive team in uh, in various different companies. And quite frankly, it's problematic. It's problematic because um, it felt in the early days when I was in the UK, uh, maybe I'll go back and I'll tell you a little story. So when I was in the UK, the last five years of my career there, I was in BD and sales. And one of the measures of how good you are is how much revenue you made. And consistently, I was in the top five, five years in a row, and I would never get promoted. And I'd ask my boss every year, why isn't it me? And he'd say, it's not your time, Ruby. It's not your time. And after the fifth year, he said to me, Ruby, I'm going to tell you what it is, but please don't sue, sue us. I said, okay. He said, nobody in the UK is going to give a brown woman of Middle Eastern origin who's under 30, a leadership position in this environment. And by this environment, he meant post 9-11. 
and I am wow. I'm Egyptian by by origin. And he yes. said, Ruby, I can see you really want that. If you really want that, go to America. You'll be able to break through the glass ceiling there. They're much more open to it. And that's exactly what I did. And so I find it really sad that um, somebody like me had to leave my family, leave the country to go chasing my career somewhere else that was a little more open. Um, and it really shouldn't be that way. And we're in 2022 and we are still having this discussion, Omar. Yes, yes, we we are. It's it's it's. You know, that's um, I don't want to say amazing. That's not the the right word for it. But it just blows me away um, that you went through that. And wow, uh, that, that that's incredible. And I'm you know, lucky, by the way, Omar, like I did it and I made it here and I found amazing people that helped me along the way. They may not have looked like me or had the same background like me, but I am very, very, very privileged for the people that pushed me up, that allied with me, that promoted me, that believed in me. Um, not everybody gets that experience. In fact, most yeah. people don't. Yeah, and, and it, it's it's amazing that you'll you'll say that because even though you know you you were one of the lucky ones, you were able to get out, and now you're giving back. Now you're you're helping and you're opening up the doors, um, you know, for others, and that is you know that is what it means to be successful. I think you you're able to to help other people. I I, I can't help but think about and, and we mentioned this again the last time we talked wow so many references to our last conversation we really should have recorded that <laughs> but I, I i remember i was at a trade show and i saw another young man that looked like me and i remember that that silent nod that we had oh uh, yes other and it was like I see you I see you I respect yeah. you I see you. we did it was no hey how you doing or or anything loud but it was just that silent nod that said hey I've been to where you are at and you you know I know the road that you're traveling and you were mentioning last time that we talked that you've been, had some of those experiences too I have and it is there is a kinship between, uh, I'm now a founder, by the way. So I founded a company and that's even more challenging. There's now a kinship between my founder friends of color, my female founder friends, my female mother founder friends, right? We yes. see each other in a different way, right? To how the rest of the world see each, see, sees us. We see each other, not just for what we've accomplished, but for the challenges that we've had to overcome. And it's a very different sort of kinship. Like you say, it's the silent nod, it's the private nod that we all see in each other that people else, other people don't seem to see. Um, it's almost like um, acknowledging each other's resilience for being able to, to do what you've done with the circumstances that have been thrown at you. Yeah. I want to talk about now, you've, you've been in this industry for uh, 26 years, mm -hmm. and I want to talk about maybe some of the biggest trends you see right now in the industry. But before I, before we really, really jump into that, define what you saw in the industry 26 years ago in terms of trends. Where were we at with the technology? Uh, what was it like back then? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the digital health industry itself didn't necessarily exist 26 years ago. It's taken the technology yep. revolution of the last few years, and particularly COVID has massively accelerated things. Um, mm. Back then, diversity, and this is, I'm telling you this from a European perspective and from being in the US for a while, diversity was not part of the discussion, right? Yeah. Um, 
we were very comfortable as an industry doing clinical trials with all Caucasian people who lived around the large academic centers, and it seemed to be fine, right? Mm -hmm. Except that now we've created all of these huge um, products, projects, uh, scientific research initiatives that have excluded the majority of the population, right? We're now a majority minority population here. So mm -hmm. that's something that's really, really changed the discussions around diversity, not just about bringing people into the companies, but how we build health products. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I feel that for the, for the last few years, we've been building digital health products for the 1%, right? Um, I worked in genetics for many, many years, and we have built as an industry through academia and through private efforts, mega genetic databases. The problem is that over 90% of those databases consist of Caucasian populations. So when those databases are being used to develop the next generation of therapeutics and diagnostics, guess who's not going to get access to them in the same way? Right. Uh, so that's yes. one of the big problems. I'll give you another example. Most of us wear a wearable. Um, so whether that's I don't want to name any brands, whether it's one of the wearables we wear around our wrist or around our finger. And these wearables are now being used by some um, healthcare professionals and health systems to measure cardiovascular risk. Now, these wearables are all made with green light. And the problem with that green light is that the darker your skin tone, the worse it detects the cardiovascular rhythms, right? Oh, wow. So again, when we're creating these products, we are not thinking about representing the face of America as we build the new generation. And this is where digital health has an opportunity to do it differently. It, we can do it differently from how we built the devices, the diagnostics, and the drugs of the past. And so I feel that today the discussion around diversity has definitely improved thinking about diversity differently, we need to turn those discussions in action. And that action has got to translate not only in the workplace, but in how we build these products of the future. It seems that you have just such a, a passion for this. And, and it, it, is it fair to say that that's what drives you to do the work that you do? Just the, the part of inclusion and making it, sure that everyone is represented? I come from the UK where every single person has healthcare provided to them for free and education provided to them for free. I actually think that healthcare is a basic human right, right? So I grew up with that mentality. So that's one of the things that drives me. The other thing that's driving me is um, digital health has the ability to bring health products to market really quickly and iteratively. And that means we can avoid some of the mistakes of the past. If you want to know what really inspires me, um, every founder in healthcare has some kind of healthcare story because healthcare affects every single one of us, Omar, whether it's ourselves, our children, our families. Um, so I have three big sources of inspiration that really drive me every day. My mother, um, she was a doctor, a pediatrician, and she passed away from liver cancer in her early 60s. And mm. before that, she had many, many chronic conditions. Um, and managing her conditions was so overwhelming for her. And I really believe that many of the tools that are available today would have made it much easier for her to treat her conditions and even detect them before it was too late. So she's a really big source of my inspiration. 
And then the other source of inspiration is I um, got preeclampsia when I was having my, my son. He was born at 28 weeks. Again, and he survived because of the miracle of medicine. And he didn't just survive, he thrived. And then weeks after that, I got a $50,000 bill for my C-section and a $1.1 million bill for my son's NICU stay. Wow, wow, yeah. Yes. So I worked at 23andMe at the time, and we had amazing health care, and they covered most of that. But most people don't have access to that type of care. Most people in this situation would have gone bankrupt. And I'm going to say it again, healthcare is a human right and people shouldn't have to choose between bankruptcy and health. And so I'm really driven to make a mark on healthcare and leave it in a better state for my son. And then finally, my father, um, he's 74 years old and he retired. He's a doctor. He was an orthopedic surgeon and he retired from the NHS two months ago after dedicating 50 years of his life to medicine. And my father was a feminist and my earliest cheerleader. And him and my mother really taught me that because I was an immigrant, I would always have to work twice as hard to get to the same level. And they instilled that work ethic in me from a very, very early age. And so those are some of the things that inspire me every single day to create solutions that solve these big problems in healthcare. Wow. I, I didn't I, I didn't realize that you'd been through so much and that you had such a, a you know, this is just this is incredible right now. I'm I'm almost in tears. Um, I and and I can definitely relate to you with the NICU and um, with with preeclampsia. My wife uh, had that and oh, she did. We, yes, we had that huge hospital bill as well. Yep. And and I think my son was born at 30 weeks. Uh, so it was wow. Uh, yes, yes, but um, I I definitely. Uh, agree with you on that and and yes been down that road and it's tough you know it's tough it's you shouldn't tough. yeah yeah even yeah. that experience Omar like I'll tell you now I didn't realize this at the time and I'm I'm sure that you and your wife feel the same about some of this I still get PTSD from hearing the NICU sounds on TV right because you're oh, sitting in that yeah. for so long and so even things like that like nobody ever contacted me after I left the NICU to check on the state of our mental health it was a very traumatic experience and these are the sorts of things that I really believe that digital health can can help us with if executed in the right way sure sure well finally I, I want to ask you want to touch on this but in terms of inclusion where would you like to see the industry in the next five years? And where do you think we will be realistically? I want to say we will have moved faster than we've moved today, but um, that is my hope. So I'll give you some numbers that are interesting. So I just came off a fundraising um, uh, roadshow where we raised money from Disrupt. And part of the, the challenge that I found out was that 76 percent of the VC partners are white men, right? Mm. And the mm -hmm. women accounted for just 5% of the VC partners in the firms. And the problem isn't just who is in the room. The problem is who's getting funded too. So women make 51% of the population, 80% of the healthcare decisions, and guess how much funding they got last year? Probably not that much at all. Yeah. Two percent. Wow. Two percent. Wow. And black founders got one point four percent. 
and black women got 0.27% of all venture dollars, right? And to me, that is outrageous, right? That is outrageous. We are not representing um, the talent of uh, the industry. We're not representing diversity at any level. And so what I want to see is that we stop having conversations and we start taking action, right? So that's one of the things I want to see. Second thing I want to see, I want it to be mandatory to see minority groups represented in leadership positions. As companies, we are reporting out our metrics around revenue, growth, profits, click-through rates. Why is it not a standard process for us to be held accountable for reporting our diversity metrics? And then I want to see every person of color who makes it to a leadership position not just color, every um, every person of every um, minority group, when they make it to a leadership position, put their hands back and pull up all the people of my minority positions that they can find, right? We mm-hmm. have to use our platforms because people recruit and create opportunities for people like them. That is why we have to get um, minority groups into leadership positions. And then I really would like us to be thinking actively and intentionally about how we build the health products of the future. And you can only do that if you have representation at the table. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Well, Ruby, thanks for coming on to Let's Talk MedTech. I really appreciate this conversation and and I look forward to having you back. I mean, we could go on for, for hours <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> Omar, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for creating the opportunity for me. And I would more than I'd be more than happy to talk to you about many other topics and many of the other trends that we see at M Disrupt. Awesome, awesome. And look forward to hearing about them. All right. You take care. You too. Thank you, Omar. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk MedTech. Thanks again to our guest, Ruby Gattelrab, the CEO and founder of M Disrupt. For more information on MDisrupt and how it's changing the conversation in digital health, visit mdisrupt.com. And check us out at mddionline.com for all of your medtech news. Also, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Once again, thanks. Thanks.